Now we want to talk today about um, what to do when prayer seems unanswered. You say, man, part 20, how long is it going to take you to get through this? Well, I don't know. We, we may just keep going until we don't have to fight anymore. I don't know. But that's been our theme for this year. Those of you that have just, just joined us and you say part 20, we've talked about what it means to fight the good fight. We began this series by talking about if, there must, if there's a good fight, there must be a, a bad fight. There must be battles that we were never meant to take on. And this year has been about refining our energy and refining our efforts so that we fight the good fight. We've talked about topics uh, in 2021 that seem very basic and foundational, but we realize that for some new Christians, we are building a foundation. For some people that have been Christians for a long time, we are polishing up the foundation. We are reestablishing some things that maybe we forgot. And I wanted to talk to you today about what, uh, what to do when prayer seems unanswered. Now, this is not about causes of unanswered prayer. We preached a message about causes of unanswered prayer a little over a year ago. And I forget how we packaged it, but there are eight or ten causes of unanswered prayer that are very clear in Scripture. Sometimes we don't have our prayers answered because of this, because of that, because of the other. And I encourage you to just go back and get that outline and probably can listen to it online. Um, it was a, a message called, I think, Some Reasons for Unanswered Prayer. But today we're not talking about the reasons for unanswered prayer. We've already covered that. We want to talk about what do we do? How do we live? What is our set of marching orders when it seems that prayer is unanswered? It's about our behavior during times of what appears to be unanswered prayer. Now, I want to say the same thing today that I said when we talked about um, what causes unanswered prayer. I, I'm not sure that there is really very many examples, there, there, that there are very many examples of truly unanswered prayer. You say, oh, I've got a lot of unanswered prayer. Well, that's because we, we count when God says no, we keep asking. And we count that as unanswered prayer. Well, we got an answer. You know, no. When God says wait, we keep, we don't count that. I think if we're not careful, we will count unanswered prayer as every time God didn't do what we wanted him to do. That's not answered prayer. That's answered prayer. You know, what's that old, you know, song? Thank God for unanswered prayer. Uh, I am so thankful that he didn't give me some things that I thought for sure I really needed. But let's, let's take away the, the, the reasons for unanswered prayer, like sin in our heart, or we're, we're not asking in wisdom, or we're not asking according to the will of God, that sort of thing. Let's, let's take away some of the, um, uh, you know, the stories of, I asked God for that and he gave me this. Let's talk about what we do when we enter into a season when God requires us oftentimes to wait or God says no, or God says, uh, gives us some other direction. Um, I, I want to say this, 
Whenever God doesn't do what we want him to do, we don't give up on our praying. We keep praying. You remember Paul when he was looking for direction for himself and his missionary team? It says that he sought to go in one direction and the Holy Spirit said no. So he sought to go in another direction and he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So in his confusion, if he had been like I've been sometimes, he'd have just quit and said, you know, Lord, I'm trying to work with you, but if you're not going to help me, I'm not going to help you. No, God sent him a dream of a man from Macedonia. He could tell perhaps by the way the man was dressed and the man of Macedonia said, come over and help us. And Paul said, we understood that now God was answering our prayer by giving us this vision to go to Macedonia. See, this is not about giving up on prayer. This is not about focusing on, well, God's not paying attention to me. God pays more attention to us than we have the wildest comprehension of. You know, uh, it was Mike Bickle that said, there are times, even when I'm at my best, I really feel like God is working on three or four things in my life and I feel so fortunate and so blessed to know that God's working on this and this and this and maybe this. He said, but what I have come to find out is that God's not working on three or four things in my life. God's working on a hundred things in my life and most of them I don't even know about. So we learn to give thanks for God even when we don't see the reasons to do so even when we don't see the reasons to do so. Um, there are two life-changing pieces of advice I've picked up along the way that have really helped me. The first one is this. This isn't in your notes, but what matters most in life is not what happens to me, but what happens in me. The same sun that hardens clay will melt wax the same circumstances. Are you guys with me? I was watching ESPN before I hate, learned to hate watching ESPN. And when I was watching ESPN, there were two NBA superstars being interviewed. This was back in the 90s. And one fellow uh, had been drafted with high ex expectations into the NBA. And someone said, what was the cause of your downfall? What made you turn to drugs? What made you squander what could have been a Hall of Fame career. He said, well, I was born into poverty. Um, my mom was a single mom. I had siblings to take care of. My dad committed suicide. Um, I didn't get to uh, uh, any breaks along the way. And he said, it just, it just messed me up. And when I got success, I couldn't handle it. And they ask another guy that went on to an NBA career, Hall of Fame, three or four championships, and they said, what made you a success in the NBA? They said, you weren't, according to some um, biographers, you weren't the most talented NBA player, but you kept setting record after record and winning championship after championship. What made you such a phenomenal person? He said, well, I, I, I've thought about that, and I think it was because I was born in poverty. My mom was a single mom. Um, we had nothing. I had everything working against me. He said, my own father committed suicide. 
And he said, it, the story was exactly the same. And it, this is Larry Bird talking. He said, I just made up my mind with all of this bad stuff happening to me. I was not going to spend the rest of my life caving into that. So I realized I had to be a success. You see, the same sun that hardens something will melt something else. And the difference is the sun, the difference is the component that the sun is shining on. So what matters most is not what happens to me. What matters most is what happens in me. Uh, the second thing I want to share with you is this. As Jesus did in the garden, I can trust the will of the Father. Loved ones, you are as quiet as a bunch of kids that just got visited by the principal. But I want to tell you, at some point in your life, you're going to have to make up your mind that God can be trusted or he's not to be trusted. That's really what it boils down to. Now, I, I know we all have debates with him on whether we like the way he works or not. But God can be trusted or he cannot be trusted. And that's something, you don't have to settle that to get saved, but you have to settle that to walk in victory. Is God one who can be trusted? And whether or not you trust God, whether or not you're able to say when everything is at stake, not my will, but thy will be done, whether or not you can really embrace that prayer is going to make the difference on whether you live in victory or defeat. It's not going to make the difference on whether you go to heaven or not. But it's going to decide if your life is a little bit of heaven on earth or if your life's a little bit of hell on earth. Well, that's pretty good. So let's move on here. Um, I, think, I think about Monica, and I'm not the one on Friends. I think about Monica, the mother of Augustine. As Monica prayed for her son's soul, her, her, her husband was not a believer, and she did her best to raise Augustine in faith, but Augustine followed his father's path more than her path. He was um, a very un, ungodly man uh, growing up, but Monica prayed for her son, and she gave this testimony. She said, after more than a decade of praying for my son, I don't think God is moving at all. I don't think God is answering my prayers at all. But she made a commitment. She said, I know God can be trusted. And I know that the eye of faith is the only way we can see some of the things that God does. And she said, so I'm not seeing anything, but I'm going to keep praying. And when Augustine, you know him as St. Augustine, whenever he came to the knowledge of the Lord, he was a phenomenal man, phenomenal preacher, phenomenal theologian, um, a man of God honored in both uh, Catholic and Protestant circles, a, a really phenomenal man. Um, after he began to rise in his walk with the Lord, she, Monica said she looked back and could see that God was answering every one of her prayers but she couldn't see that God was answering until long after they were answered. And she said, on one occasion, I prayed specifically for my son had a chance to go to a certain city. And she said, I knew that that could not possibly be the will of God. It would be the worst move that my child could make. And she said, I prayed, I fasted uh, our, our vernacular. I confessed, I did everything to stop this move. And what did God do? Nothing. In fact, God seemed to expedite Augustine's move to this city. 
And she said, it was the bitterest day of my life to see him go. But later it was said that the only man that she had ever heard of that could influence her son's intellect was a Christian who lived in that city. And you know what God did? God said, no, Monica, because he had to answer her prayer she had prayed earlier. He knew that the most likely way for Augustine to become a believer was to get him to this city, to this man. And I tell you, God's the only one that doesn't have his hands full moving against a praying mom. And Augustine said this, he says, we don't need to pray for what we need. And I don't agree with that because I know Augustine and, and the scripture tells us to present our needs to the Lord. And Augustine believed in prayer, but you have to know the context of what he was saying. He said, he was saying, really, it's not as important that we pray for our needs to be met because God already knows what we need before we even ask. He said, instead, we ought to pray to increase our desire for God so that he might, so that we might be able to receive what he's preparing to give us. Loved ones somewhere. And I don't know where you cross the line. I don't know if you do this and check these points off a list that you move from this to this, but somewhere we've got to understand that prayer is not to be viewed as winning the lottery. Prayer is not to be viewed as getting everything I want. Prayer needs to be viewed as I'm in partnership with one who loves me, who loves my children, who loves my grandchildren, who loves my great-grandchildren, who loves my neighbor, loves me more than I love any of them. And he's working for me. And that's what Augustine was saying we needed to go to. You say, well, pastor, I know. And, and I, pr I prayed, you know, I've, I've prayed for, for days or weeks or months and God's not doing what I'm asking him to do. I want to ask you this question. Do you know what it's like to pray for years? Do you know what it's like to pray for decades? So many times we say, you know, I gave up after 20 years. Well, loved ones, sometimes a cheese is just getting in its best place after 20 years. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Uh, guys, I want to tell you, these people weren't struggling with their life, blameless. You realize how few times the word blameless is used to describe someone in scripture. Here's a couple that's blameless. We like to pick on poor Zechariah because the angel had to strike him unable to speak. And we talk about, boy, he didn't have much faith. But I want to tell you something. Don't judge a man in one weak moment when he's lived decades of blamelessness. Blameless in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And then in verse 7, there's one of those famous words, yet. You remember I told you when there's some famous words in Scripture, therefore. When you see a therefore, stop, go back and see what it's there for. Remember the big but? 
But, you know, the big buts of scripture we talked about. And here's another significant word. And yet, yet they've done everything they ought to do. Their life is blameless, squeaky clean. Yet they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. Fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall name him John. And for those of you that maybe are new Christians, these are the parents of John the Baptist. Uh, barren and without children. And the hope of every Jewish child was to have children uh, because one of those children was going to be the Messiah and they just understood the joy of family. In fact, the Bible didn't teach this, but, but the oral tradition, not God's law, but oral tradition uh, Im implied very strongly that if you didn't have children, it was because you were under the curse of God. Now, you say, where did that come from? Because the Bible tells us that children are a blessing of the Lord. And just the natural mind said, well, if, if I have children and that's a blessing, if I don't have children, that must be a curse. God never said that barren people are cursed. But that was part of the tradition. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What an amazing story. What a, what a, it's just a snapshot, but I want you to know what you're looking at just is a story that can be read in just a very few minutes. But what you and I may not understand is that this is the happy uh, conclusion or, or the beginning of the conclusion to a couple that had been praying for decades, decades they had been praying and it seemed like God was not answering their prayer until the day the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Loved ones, what I want to present to you today is that Christians live by prayer. Prayer is to the spirit what breathing is to the body. Prayer is to your spirit what breathing is to the body. When the Bible says we should pray without ceasing, <coughs> it doesn't mean that you can't have a job. doesn't mean that you shouldn't take care of your 
children. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a good husband to your wife. Pray without ceasing simply means this. Just as we breathe without consciously thinking of breathing, our life should be lived so that our petition before God is just always before us. And every time that we live a day, the day is, is, is seasoned with prayer all through the day. <coughs> now, that's, we, we say that prayer is to the spirit, what breathing is to the body. Yet, there's that word again in my writing. There's a lifelong struggle regarding prayer. See, none of us, we, it's hard because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is what Jesus said in Gethsemane. See, I never wake up during the day and say, well, I'm going to have to breathe today. I don't want to. I'd rather be doing something else, but I'm going to have to breathe. No. See, if we could get our spirit to follow the path of our body in that respect, so that prayer is not something we resent. And I think probably it's because we either haven't prayed enough or don't understand prayer well enough that we make it a duty instead of a response. Now, it should be as natural to our spirits as breathing is to our body, but, but there's a fight going on because the spirit is willing. Everybody in here is willing to pray. Nobody in here is saying, oh, pastor, I don't believe prayer is that important. Everybody in here is saying, yeah, it's that important, but it ain't easy. No, it's, it's not easy. Yet when we begin making progress, we say, yeah, okay, I'm beginning to pray. I'm, I'm having a good devotional life. There's another problem that introduces itself, and it's the perplexity of what appears to be unanswered prayer. Okay, God has spent all this time trying to get me to pray, and now why doesn't he answer my prayer? I think that's the battle some of us fight. Some of us might fight another battle, and this is the issue not of unanswered prayer, but of unoffered prayer. Okay, I know I'm being very basic today, and you guys, you guys that have your prayer, prayer merit badge, just hang loose for a minute. <laughs> but some folks struggle with unanswered prayer. Some folks struggle with unoffered prayer. And uh, James says, well, now this goes back to the old sermon. James says, we have not because we ask not. It was Martin Luther, as far as I can tell, who first said it. He said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to get it all done. John Wesley um, uh, took that to another level. And one day, and John Wesley had adjusted himself to three hours of prayer a day. And it was John Wesley that taking Martin Luther's cue said this. He said, I have so much to get done today that I will need to spend four hours in prayer instead of three. Well, we understand that there's th this battle that we fight. So I want to ask three questions today, three questions only. Number one, I want to ask, why does some prayer seem unanswered? And we're not going to go back. If you want a detailed response to this, you'll have to go back to the message of, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 months ago. Why does, why does some prayer seem unanswered? Number two, I want to ask the question, if God waits, why does he wait? And number three, the question is, how should we live when prayers answers 
don't seem to be coming. Let's look at that first question. Why does some prayer seem unanswered? Let me, this is just very superficial, but it's the foundation of understanding answered and unanswered prayer. Um, number one, letter A on your outline, sometimes the answer is denied. Now, I wanted to do this first because this is the one we argue with, we, we cuss at. You never get this on the refrigerator door. But the fact of the matter is sometimes God says no. He won't answer a request that hurts us. He won't answer a request that's contrary to his will. Now, we learn from the Psalms back in that other message that sometimes we just keep bringing it to the Lord. You know, Balaam is a good example of that. Can I, can I pronounce a curse over these people? And the Lord says, no. Can I go with the king? The Lord says, no. And Balaam keeps praying and keeps praying and keeps praying. And then all of a sudden we've got God, quote, changing his mind. God says, go, but only speak what I tell you. And, and you say, well, well, praise God, I prevailed in prayer. I changed God's mind. Loved ones, sometimes we keep insisting on a yes when God gives us a no that God says, I'm going to have to let you go so many steps so you can see why this is wrong. Balaam's donkey, she had more understanding about the will of God than Balaam did at that point. And sometimes God just says no. Um, because sometimes we ask for things out of the will of God. Um, we've all done it at the bank teller. You're putting money in the bank, getting some cash back. And we just say, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Christ over this. I claim this. I confess this in the name of the Lord. Lord, let her give me about $200 too much back. <laughs> well, we know that's not the will of God. Because if you're a person of integrity, you're going to have to give the $200 back. So we, we need to understand that God's not going to say yes to things that are out of the will of God. You say, but he said, whatever I want to ask for. Well, let's go to that verse. First John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have in him or before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of him. Now, I'm going to say this because I try to say it about every two or three weeks. You don't build doctrine on a verse. You build doctrine on all the verses. And I have had people claim things that were detrimental because if I ask the will of God and it's the will of God, I know that he hears me and I know that if he hears me, I've got what I want. And we take the great cosmic idea that everybody's going to be saved and we pray as though the lost have no decision to make. We, we pray in understanding the great cosmic will of God that God wants everybody to be healthy and God wants everybody to be well. So we have people that, that don't even pray about a situation concerning illness because they say it's the will of God for everybody to be healed. And loved ones, apparently not. If it's the will of God for everyone to be healed, and I know this is, this is anathema for some of you, but it hasn't happened for 2,000 years. There's never been a time in church history when everyone was well and everyone was healed. So what we have to learn is what Jesus learned. We know we're praying according to his will when God speaks something to us. 
Jesus said, I only say, I only do what I hear the Father say or what the Father shows me. And that is where we get our confidence. The prayer that begins in heaven, he puts in our heart. We pray what he puts in our heart and we know that he hears us and we know that if he hears us, we have what we desired. Those are the things we contend for. Now the day is coming when everyone will be well. God's gonna heal. I don't think God's healing near as many as he wants to heal because we're not pursuing healing. But we've got to understand this idea that sometimes God gives us a no to something because he is working a greater purpose. That's hard for us to understand. I know that. Let me, let me, um, let me take you to another text, James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust and do not have. You commit murder. So you commit murder uh, and you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. See, he said the problem is that you don't ask. And then when you ask, you ask according to your will, not my will. And he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Remember, we talked about this last week. God not only does not give grace to the proud and arrogant, but he fights them. He resists them. You see, a lot of us are so screwed up in our view of prayer. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you are married to um, uh, the, the love of your life. You've, you've, you've got a, a husband or a wife that you love. You've had children. Everything's great. But you get off track and decide you're going to involve yourself in an adulterous affair. And let's just say that uh, your wife manages the money. You know, you bring the paycheck home, give it to her. She has the money. What would your wife do if you came home and said, uh, uh, honey, I wondered if you could just give me about $1,200 out of checking. And she said, of course, what do you want to do with it? He said, well, I'd like to take uh, my girlfriend down to Charleston and just treat her to some good seafood and a carriage ride and a couple of nights in a nice motel. And I need about, oh, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. You say, what's wrong with that? Do you know that's exactly the way God views some of the foolish prayer? We ask God to finance our carnality. We ask God to finance our sin. We ask God to heal us so we can serve the devil better. Thank you. I thought so. <laughs> Loved ones, sooner or later, you've got to come to it. Sometimes God says no. Because it's a foolish request. It's a, it's a, a sinful request. And God has better plans for you than what you're asking him for. So sometimes it's denied. God says, no, let's hurry on here. Y'all are, y'all are dragging. Come on now. And you got to remember this. Every time God says, no, it's an, I love you. Every thou shalt not in the scripture is an, I love you. Every time God says, I'm not going to do that, we, we may not understand it. And, and guys, that's okay. I'm not here to tell you I understand. I, I, I could spend the rest of the month not even letting you go home 
telling you times that I thought God was mean to me, telling me no, when if I can just give it time, if I can just give it time, he wasn't saying no to be mean. He was saying no because he loves me and he had something better. Now, Justin, I'd like for it entered into the records that there were almost no amens over that, but I will, I will stand vindicated. Here's the second thing that I want you to understand. Sometimes the answer is not denied. He doesn't say no. Sometimes the answer is delayed and he says, wait. And I want to tell you, it's easier to deal with no than it is to deal with wait. You know, uh, because no, even though I don't like it, at least it's settled. I may pout, I may argue, but it's settled. But wait, how long? But I want to tell you, you never know when it's going to happen. And I'm not saying it's going to happen today or tomorrow. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for decades. But one day, an angel shows up and says, your prayer has been heard. What would you do if something you'd been praying about for decades, suddenly the angel of the Lord said, hey, your prayer has been heard already. And the fact of the matter is they had no clue. They had, they spent a small fortune on pregnancy tests. And it was always no, always no, always no. And year after year after year, and now not only are they past the years of childbearing, but they are just well advanced in, in years. And, and the structure of that sentence, I'm not trying to be crude, it just basically was saying just any chance of it was passed. Any chance of a child being born was passed. But they were about to learn, I don't know if they knew it or not, every, every wait, just like every no is an I love you, every wait is an I love you. Um, you know, what's interesting about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that even though they had to deal with a no over and over and over and over, I don't even know if they had a wait, but no, after no, after no, after no, after no, they still serve the Lord. They were still blameless. That tells me they were another notch higher than I thought, because most of us, when God says no long enough, we just quit. You know, it's as though we're going to hurt him by telling him we're not going to serve him. And I imagine it does hurt the heart of the father, but he loves you so much. He's not going to let you have something that will hurt you, even though you're trying to make him suffer for your suffering. Isaiah 30, verse 8, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. You say, oh, Lord, you don't care about me. No, 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 no. The scripture says he longs, he aches, he aches to be gracious to you. So what did, I mean, you know, I remember Ramona and I were dating. It was before cell phones. We were paying by the minute. We waited till after nine o'clock to call because that was the cheap rate. And it got to the point when we decided we wanted to get married and it just seemed like we had to wait. My pastor was totally unsympathetic. We had to wait nearly two months because he didn't want me to miss this event and that event. And I said, foot on those events, but it didn't matter, you know. 
We wanted to get married in June, but uh, the, the first open weekend was August, you know. And I remember about this time, 42 years ago, we'd get on the phone and just, hmm. We ran out of things to say, but we just wanted to hear each other breathe. <laughs> we just longed to be together. And that's the way the Lord is for all of his children. He longs to be gracious to you. So what does he do? Therefore, it's one of those big words, therefore he waits. It ah, does not make sense. Not to the flesh. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion for you. Why? Because he longs to be gracious to you. It's as though God says, Justin, I understand the cry of your heart. I understand you want this prayer answered today, but I want the prayer to be answered in fullness. The word justice is used. He said, I want to give you this more than you possibly want it. So Justin, I'm going to wait just a little bit longer. I'm going to wait just a little bit longer. Now, Sometimes the answer is delayed and it's not God's delay. Daniel prayed for 21 days and then the answer came and the angel told him that, uh, um, you know, there was a spiritual battle going on and there was a war in the heavenlies and, and victory had to be won in the heavenlies before things could manifest down here. I understand that, but I also want you to know that sometimes the devil hinders but sometimes it's more like when I was a kid growing up, our neighbor, Mrs. Jadrovic, had, had an orange tree. Now, I lived in Florida, but I lived in northwest Florida, and orange trees don't grow well. Uh, I mean, that's not citrus country. But she had a, an orange tree and a special breed of oranges that would not grow in a northwest Florida climate. And she had the tree for the first time in, in years the tree bore fruit and it was loaded. And I'd heard her talk about it. She was so excited about her oranges and they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I just, I just wanted her to be so happy that I went and picked all of her oranges for her. Um, it didn't matter to me that they were green. And boy, I tell you what, when she got home, our neighbor, who if I had to do over again, I'd hit him in the head with a tree limb, taking him out of the equation, tattletale. But he told her that I did it. And she met my dad when he came home from work and he talked and they went back and forth for a little while. And he apologized. He offered to pay for it and I, they worked it out. But my daddy came home and said, uh, said, Steve, why, why did you pick Miss Jadrovic's oranges? And I said, well, Daddy, she was so excited about them coming. I, I just wanted her to, I just wanted her to, to be happy. And um, he said, listen, son, I know that you wanted to help her, but you picked them before they were ripe. And he gave me a lecture. He didn't punish me. He knew my, my heart was in the right place. He just told me not to ever do that again. And I've often thought about that. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just wanted to pick the blessings before they were ripe. 
And sometimes when we are upset with God's delays, it's not that our heart is evil. It's just that we want the blessings, but we've got to let them get ripe. Well, this is so elementary. I know you've got it. So sometimes God's answer is denial. No. Sometimes God's answer is a delay. Okay, let's wait. And loved ones, here's another one that I don't know how much we think about. Sometimes the answer is just different. It's not a denial. It's not a delay. It's not a no. It's not a wait. It's God just saying, now let me do this my way. It's different. Let me do it my way. It's not that your way is evil or flawed. Sometimes God says, let me do this a different way. And now that leads to our second question, which we're going to hurry through. Why does he wait? If God's all powerful, why does he wait? I, I think we can get very philosophical and very ethereal with this, but I think it boils down to two things. Number one, God will wait because he wants to display his glory. Now we, we say, oh yes, we want God to show his glory. But inwardly, we're ticked about that. Because if, if to us, I want, I want to receive glory. To us, that's very self-serving. To us, that's like, well, you know, you're concerned with your glory. I'm concerned with my gut. I'm concerned with my need. But you see, the closest thing to, to God receiving glory in our realm is us receiving credit. See, we, we think, well, I, I want to receive the credit. And we say, God shouldn't be like that. He ought to be willing for somebody else to get the credit. But God receiving glory is not God getting credit. You see, God is in a situation that not one of us is in. And it is this. It's altogether different. God deserves glory. Have you ever thought God was kind of uh, egotistical? Praise me, worship me, you know. I've punched my you know, my phone on the car the other day and it said, give a command. And and I said, worship me, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's, it still hasn't worshiped me. <laughs> God saying, glorify me, praise me, worship me. See, that is that is perhaps, in my opinion, that's one of the most difficult things about God to understand because at best, all we can achieve is credit. Credit, credit that I've earned. But God, by his very nature, is to be glorified. God exists in a realm of glory and never think God is being self inward, inwardly turned or self-inflated by saying, praise me. No, the, the, the greatest way for the earth and our lives and the cosmos to be balanced is for God to be glorified. It's altogether different than credit. And sometimes God will do something in a way that is contrary to our understanding or our willingness to accept but what he's doing is he said, I'm going to become bigger in your sight. See, it's, it, that's the, the, the scripture word is magnified. It's mag, oh, magnify the Lord with me. We can't make God any bigger than he is. But a magnifying glass makes something bigger than it is to us. Bigger than our understanding. And when the, the Pharisees couldn't understand it, and neither do we, 
Who sinned that this man should be born blind? His parents or him? Because we live in a world where we want to ascribe blame for everything to everybody. If you don't get your miracle, it's somebody's fault. You just got to find out whose fault it is. But in the heavenly realm, Jesus says, you don't understand. This isn't about anyone's sin, not his parents or him. Neither of them is the reason he was born blind. But God has put something together so that he will be glorified by the way this thing works out. And it's more than just a healing. It's, it, it, he says, I'm going to deal with this in a different way. And you want me to begin the foundation of you're to blame or you're to blame. But he says, God has just arranged some unpleasant circumstances. And guys, listen, God has just arranged some difficulties. God has just arranged some difficulties so that he will have the opportunity to show his glory and how much he loves you. This is nobody in the church. I would never say this if it was someone in the church, but some friends had a baby and it, the baby had all kinds of problems and it looked like the baby might have Down syndrome as well. And, you know, I prayed, I prayed and I said, Lord, help me to know how to pray. And he gave me three or four things to pray. And then I said, Lord, just be glorified in this. Just be glorified in this. Be glorified in this. And loved ones, I want to tell you, as it worked out, the baby survived the physical challenges, but the baby does have Down syndrome. And I saw a picture, I've got it on my phone. The family has rallied around this little Down syndrome child. And their whole world has shifted and you see the children from the youngest to the oldest. You see the parents. There's something, some kind of love pouring out of their heart. And I can tell you this, there is a profound glory on that child. Because God will take situations that seem objectionable to us. And he says, I can reveal my glory. Well, not only does he want to display his glory. Now you, you say, well, if he really loves it, why does he want me to go through all of this? Because there are sometimes, you guys still with me? Yeah. If, if, you'll, if you'll say more amens, we can get through done uh, <laughs> uh, or get done and through quicker. Abraham and Sarah is a good example. God waited for them to reach the point where the answer to their prayer was an impossibility. See, it wasn't just, boy, they, they were, boy, they were, they were cutting it close here. No, 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 no. They, they, they passed the finish line decades earlier. Do you, do you realize when God said, I'm going to give you a child, that both of them laughed? You say, oh, no, it was, it was, it was Sarah that laughed. See, the, the, here's God Almighty saying, I'm going to do something. And it was so utterly unbelievable that Sarah laughed. I think that was chapter 18. But if you go back a chapter to chapter 17, when God told Abraham, I'm going to do this, Abraham laughed. Abraham said, Lord, you're going to give us a baby. Have you seen my wife? Now don't be too hard on him because when Sarah laughed, she said, have you seen my husband? 
God will let things get worse so that we will know of his glory and his love for us. You say, Pastor, I know what you're saying, but that's awfully hard. If you were going through what I'm going through, you wouldn't say that. Loved ones, it may be that I've gone through things worse than you've gone through. See, we've got to be careful. You can't, you can't fall into the trap of saying, nobody understands how I feel. Most of us never share our deepest struggles with anybody. It's, it's, a, it's, it's understandable, but it's a, it's a faulty defense mechanism to say nobody understands me. They haven't been through what I've been through. Well, loved ones, they may not have been through what you've been through, but they may have been through something just as devastating. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, some of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus is sick, he dies, and Jesus waits four days to come. You say, oh, why? Well, we know he was working a purpose, but both Mary and Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I know I have. Lord, you could have stopped this. You could have stopped this. Lord, this was no problem for you, but you didn't. Four days. Why did Jesus wait four days? Well, I think there are probably reasons that we can only speculate, but I do know this. Again, this isn't in the Bible. This was Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition says that when a man or woman dies, their spirit, their soul hangs around the body for three days. And Jewish tradition said at the end of three days, they go. And there's no, you know, there's no reason to think they would ever come back. But the tradition of the Jews was that even though they had to bury them right away, they, that's why the, the mourning would last as three days or longer. Because the idea was, well, maybe they're not really dead. And maybe, maybe on, a, on a second or, 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 or third you know, day, they could, they could somehow come back. Do you know what? I think what Jesus did was to literally wait until even the tradition of the elders said there's no hope whatsoever. And then with the speaking of the name, Lazarus comes forth. He will wait because he wants to display his glory. And secondly, he wants to dispense his grace. He wants to dispense his grace. See, not only did God give them a son, like they always want, or a child, like they always wanted, but he gave them a child born at exactly the right time. Galatians 6 is a loaded verse in, in uh, chapter 6. It says, in the fullness or when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who were under the law. Jesus was not born a day early. He was not born a day late. The, the parents lived in Nazareth, but God was able to arrange everything so that they were in Bethlehem when the, when the birth occurred. And it wasn't just that Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem. John the Baptist's ministry, if he had been born much earlier or later, he would have missed that divine appointment of being the forerunner for Jesus. No, God understands, loved ones, what I don't always understand, and it is this. There is the fullness of time. It's the fullness of time. And I will say this, 
If we will obey, God will give us something better than we ask for. Here's the last thing. How do we live when prayer seems unanswered? Pastor, we're almost out of time. Okay. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says let me do this another way. I know he's going to show his glory and I know he's going to dispense grace. But how do I live right now? If you could tell me that on August 3rd of this year, my, my waiting will be over. I can wait till August 3rd. If you could tell me that the Lord said by the end of 2022, all of our prayers are going to be answered. I can, I can wait another 18 months. I can do what I need to do if I can just put a bookend on it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell you anything like that. So I, I want to suggest four things to do until the Lord says your prayer is answered. Here's number one. Live in expectation of the anger. This is in your notes, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Live in expectation of the answer. Don't give up unless God tells you no or God gives you other direction. Keep on praying. Loved ones, I know people mean well. They're trying to build and strengthen your faith, faith your face, your faith. But I don't think we need to buy into the idea that it's sin to ask God twice. I, I, I grew up in a culture where if you ask God twice, uh, or the, the popular culture, not in my church, but um, the, the, the teachers that were becoming prominent said, if you teach, I mean, if you pray twice, it means you don't have faith. Um, no, I, I, I learned to pray under the push method, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens, you know. Um, so live in expectation of the end. Keep praying. Keep praying. Uh, number two, check your heart all along the way from the beginning till the time the answer comes. Keep a watch on your heart and be sure that your heart is pure, that your motives are pure, that your, your asking is to the glory of God and, and in alignment with scripture. Check your heart. And and, and number three, when I say expect the answer, I'm saying have an attitude that says, I don't know how long this is going to take. But number three is keep on praying. Luke 18, 1, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not become discouraged. This is what Jesus taught. Keep praying and don't become discouraged in your praying. Um, my pastor, he, Daniel was his favorite character in the, in the Old Testament. And he preached about Daniel all the time. And Brother Stevenson used to love to talk about Daniel praying through. Our church, we talked about praying through. Whenever there was a need, pastor said, come Wednesday night um, and we're, we're going to pray through on this thing. And I, I grew up understanding praying through. But I remember asking him one time what praying through really meant. And this is what he told me. He said, well, he said, sometimes praying through means you pray through the opposition. Daniel had demonic opposition and you've got to pray through the opposition. You've got to pray uh, through the heavenlies. Sometimes praying through means you pray past the devil into the presence of God. He said, sometimes praying through means you've got to pray through your flesh. Because sometimes you want God to do something different than he wants to do or you want him to do the same thing, but do it your way. He said, a lot of times we have to pray till we're free of the flesh. And we say, Lord, however you want to do this, do it. And he said, uh, the third thing that praying through means, just pray till you're through. 
Pray until the answer comes. Pray till you're done. Matthew 7 says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You say, well, do I, do I ever get to take a break? This is my advice to you. Pray until God either gives you assurance. Now, I think the people that say you don't have to ask twice, I think what they're trying to say is pray until God gives you an assurance that it's done. And then instead of continuing to ask, begin to thank him for the answer that's coming. So sometimes God can give you assurance. Sometimes give you, God will give you an answer, the no or the wait. Or sometimes God will give you a direction. He says, you're praying for this. I want you to adjust your prayers this way. Um, now here's the last thing. We want to expect the answer. We, we want to examine your heart. We want to keep on praying. And here's the fourth thing, and it's very difficult, but when God gives you an answer, embrace it. When God gives you an answer, and I'm not talking about praying till you get light on a dark subject. I'm not talking about praying because you're not sure. Yeah, I think I've heard the Lord, but I'm not sure. God never gets upset over us doing that. But when God gives you a clear answer, embrace the answer. And if you don't, you may end up like Balaam, where you end up going from one mistake to another because you keep praying until God gives you the answer that you want. And, when, and sometimes, so, do you know that sometimes God will give you an answer that is not a good answer because you keep insisting? See, that's what he did to Israel. The scripture says he granted their request, but sent leanness to their soul. He did that to Balaam. Balaam said, Lord, can I do this? The Lord said, no. And he kept on praying. And the Lord just said, take an, uh, the Lord said, take this step, take this step, take this step. God was letting him get close enough to the disaster to see you don't want to go this way. When God says no, this can be a time for enduring or a time for enjoying. Now, I know there's a time to endure. I know there's a time to enjoy. But whenever God gives us an answer that we're not comfortable with, you at that moment receive an invitation to walk in a greater destiny and a greater depth than you would have ever achieved otherwise. You remember 2 Corinthians 12, 7 about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I'm not going to re-preach that sermon but Paul said, I prayed incessantly about this thorn in the flesh. It was, it was identified as demonic. It was a messenger of Satan. And we don't know what it was. A lot of people say they know, but we don't know from the text what it was. We have some clues, but we don't know. But we know it was demonic and it was a thorn in the flesh. And that doesn't mean like, ooh, a little thorn irritates me when I turn the wrong way. It was the word for an impaling instrument. It, it was like he's walking around with a spear in his side, not a thorn from a, from a bush. And he prayed three times. And um, some people say that means that he spent three seasons of prayer, three prayer retreats praying. Um, but it was also used at times as a Hebrew, Hebrew idiom to mean, I prayed for this thing three times. I mean, it's, it's been an ongoing part of my life. And the Lord finally said, Saul, I'm, or Paul, I'm not going to remove this from you, but I will do something better. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, that's all he told me. No, but my grace is sufficient. He said, but what I've learned is that in my weakness, I find strength. 
In this affliction, I find my victory. You say, did God tell him that? No, God said, no, but my grace is sufficient. And out of that, he learned those things. You see, loved ones, some of us, some of us have had had it out with God. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't mean we've had it with God, but we've had it out with God. And we don't understand the benefits that can be ours if we will just embrace the answer. If we will embrace him and trust him. I know sorrow is tough. I know denial is bitter. I know delay is insufferable. But whenever God gives you an answer that we don't understand or that we may not even want, it's an invitation to begin to journey with him. You know what happened? Paul said, I've been on a journey with him where I've been taken up into the very presence of God. He said, there are things that God showed me that I'm not even permitted to speak of. Uh, and it was like John in the book of Revelation. God showed him something phenomenal. And after God showed it to him, he says, now don't write this down. This is for your eyes only. You see, I think God is wanting to bring us to the place I think that's part of what's going on in the church world right now. He's trying to bring us to the place where he can speak his heart without us merchandising it. Where he can speak his compassion without us trying to schedule a speaking tour. I tell you, I think God would speak a lot more to us if he, if he could get us to where we didn't feel we had to tell everybody. You say, I'm not sure I understand. Well, let's, let's move away from Paul. Let's move away from John. And let's move to Mary. Mary received a prophetic word when Jesus was being dedicated about something ripping through her soul and about what God was going to do. And what did Mary learn? Mary could have said, I don't want this. I, I, I will not allow this. This is my baby boy you're talking about. I do not want this to happen. Mary knew she was in over her head. She knew she was in over her head. Somebody was joking with me about pushing Justin around up here last week. And uh, I, I wanted, I didn't tell Justin what I was going to do. I wanted him to look surprised for the, for the illustration. And I told somebody, yeah, I said, they, I said uh, first thing that went through my mind is when I pushed Justin, I thought I am in over my head. I picked the wrong one to push. I just thank God for the grace that was in Justin's life. <laughs> Mary knew she was in over her head. So what did she do? She kept them in her heart and she pondered them. Would you be surprised to know that one of the most precious moments of intimacy may be something that God never allows you to share with anybody else? And it only comes from those deep places, those dark places. Father, I'm out of time. I want to pray very quickly for those that are here. Um, ministry team, would you come ahead to the front and get ready to minister to folks that want prayer? Um, I want to pray for those. Lord, I, this isn't a message of rebuke. Lord, this, this building is full of people that love you with all their hearts. There are people watching 
they love you. They're not mad with you over the way life has dealt, been dealt to them. Oh, they're probably all of us go through that at some point or another. But Father, I'm talking to people today. I believe they love you with all their heart. But they're in a tough place. They've prayed the way you told us to pray. They've poured out their heart the way you've told us to pour out our heart. They've made known to you our petitions and requests, just as you told us to do in Scripture. And Lord, it appears from our perspective that our prayers are just not being answered. Oh, some of us today are saying, yeah, that's probably a selfish prayer. And we're, we're throwing that to the side or uh, that wasn't the will of God. Let's take all of those prayers that we know maybe weren't wise prayers. Let's throw them over to the side. But there are still some people that are praying the best way they know how. And they still haven't had those answers that they feel they need. Those are the people I'm praying for right now. The whys, the whens, the whats. Lord, we wait on you for those answers until those answers come. Whether our wait is for a month or a year or a decade or a lifetime, help us to walk the journey with you. Like Mary, help us to hide these things in our heart and ponder them all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name.